Hello, Mountain. That everybody's here. We're glad you're with us for this new series. Excuse me one second. Uh, sorry to interrupt, I but, you might but be up here. Uh, have some important family news to share with everyone at all of our campuses. You see, this is not just a day we remember Pearl Harbor, but it's also a day that we remember the day of Ben's birth. And yes, it, it uh, yes. And this is especially uh, important today because today Ben turns 50. So, uh, <laughs> you don't so would you that. join me and let's sing happy birthday to Ben. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to me. You. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ben. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you. That was great how Rob, being as much older than I, could still hit the high notes there. Hope you don't believe that 50 stuff. I don't know. I'm going to get him for that one. Yeah. Um, I was going to wear my birthday suit, but I decided against that, actually. So anyway, hey, it's great to spend uh, your birthday with your family. So anyway, uh, thank you for that. We're, we're excited about this new series uh, at, at Christmas called Netflix. Um, it, it, or nope, did I say Netflix? We're not allowed to say Netflix. <laughs> so uh, I guess this is not the version that we'll be putting on the uh, Internet. <laughs> oh, well, it's called Flixmas. And uh, whatever it's called, doesn't matter. It's about uh, movies, and a lot of us like to go uh, see movies. I don't really go to many movies, uh, in the, but sometimes at Christmas, I like to, uh, we get together and watch some of them. How many, so on the count of three, think of your favorite Christmas movie and yell it out so people around you can hear it. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, okay, I hope you all learned something there. Uh, we've chosen four. We've chosen four. Um, Christmas Vacation, Charlie Brown Christmas, Home Alone and Elf, not because they're the best, but because they gave us good launching places to talk about some other very important themes about the most important story ever told, and that's not a Christmas movie. It's the story of Jesus and his birth and the difference that makes in our lives. We're going to talk about some of the difference it makes in the mess of family life today. Next week, some of the how simplicity is such an important gift that we need that comes to us through Christ. We'll talk about finding some of love and calm amidst the trouble of life. And finally, on Christmas Eve, some of how to find God in the midst of the craziness of life. And so we're excited about just this simple way to, to get into it. That today we're going to talk about, um, you know, use this launching pad of uh, Christmas Vacation, this old Chevy Chase film. He's this idealistic guy, Clark Griswold, who has this idea of just the most perfect Christmas experience ever, right? But of course it doesn't always work out that way. He's a guy who decorates his house with 25,000 lights. It looks like a runway or Times Square, right? Things don't go very well. Remember one of the worst things is his weird, crazy cousin Eddie shows up, right? Who's, uh, who's like kind of this obnoxious redneck uh, goofball with um, a slobbering dog and bizarre children and this kind of thing. Of course this morning Ellen says to Clark, what are you staring at, Clark? He's looking out the window and he says, Oh, the silent majesty of a winter's morn, the clean, cool chill of the holiday air, and a jerk in his bathrobe emptying the chemical toilet into my sewer. And he looks out, and here's what he sees, you know. There's Cousin Eddie out there emptying his RV uh, septic. And it's kind of a summary of the movie right there, and a kind of summary of really our lives in a way, isn't it, too? 
of how Christmas is this ideal time that we kind of hope will be this sentimental, wonderful, holly jolly time. But in fact, when you enter family into the picture, it isn't always that case every moment by any stretch. Things go bad to worse in the movie. You know, the cat gets electrocuted, which is good. And then uh, the squirrel gets loose in the house and Grandpa's cigar lights the tree on fire. And there's a SWAT team in the living room before it's all over. And, and at one point, Ellen says, I think it's best if everyone just went home before anything got worse. And Clark says, worse? How could things get any worse? Look around, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. You know, it's like, so that's sometimes, I think, how we feel. I love his line. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. No, no, no. We're all in this together. And, and again, that, doesn't that describe maybe how you feel as you get ready for the Christmas season and, and the holidays before us? Um, I think we identify with the movie and find parts of it funny because our own families are, are kind of messed up sometimes. And we understand how, how much we sometimes try to achieve this sort of ideal Christmas experience, but it really never works out that way in real life. Not really with real people. You know, there's these pictures online you can find of awkward family Christmas photos, which also just summarize how, how things are. I mean, take a look at this Christmas photo of this awkward family. Here's a moment. You know, you get, the, you get everyone dressed up, hubby in a sweater, get the timer on the camera, and then bam, the cat attacks right in the middle of the picture, you know, which is like reason 747 not to have a cat. But, but families can be awkward and, and embarrassing and just strange, like this family with their one sweater. I mean, I don't know what the point is. What's the point? I don't know. Some families are just weird. Maybe is this what your family looks like? Check this, this family out. It's just bizarre. I mean, there's a lot going on there. He's trying to strangle his mom. The other daughter's like, do it. You know, I, I don't know. So... How about the photo of these brothers? You know, some people feel like I don't even have that much in common with my family. And, you know, it's like you can just hear, go stand there by the tree, boys, you know, for a little photo. It's like, yeah, yeah, Merry Christmas. You don't have a lot in common. Or, or just awkward families like this one here. Talk about awkward. I mean, just like, mm, you know, goth family Christmas. You know, Santa's scared out of his mind. <laughs> and sometimes we just get driven crazy by, by our families, uh, honestly. Sometimes, you know, you, you got... <laughs> You know, this kid's just like, shoot me, get me out of here. I just don't want anything to do with this. You've got the sister-in-law who always shows up and get her feelings hurt or my kids don't get treated fairly or, you know, someone, someone that drinks too much or someone who swears all the time or someone who cheers for the Steelers or whatever, you know, it's just someone's going to ruin it, you know. And uh, it seems like every family has one of those. I think, see if you can find out who it is in this family. <laughs> the... the, the <laughs> The quote, the quote on this one is, we told everyone to wear your best outfit for the family photo. So Cousin Garth shows up wearing his Incredible Hulk pantsuit or whatever that is. So, so every family has a Cousin Garth, right? You probably know who it is. And if you can't think of who it is, guess what? <laughs> it's you. So uh, <laughs> news for you, newsflash. So, you know, the truth is, it's a, it's a great time of year, you know, Christmas can be, and, uh, but it has a way of bringing some of the mess of family to the surface, doesn't it? Uh, right into the spotlight. In the words of Charles Dickens, you know, uh, it can be the best of times and the worst of times. Because, uh, you know, families are the source, aren't they, of some of our greatest joys in life. And... A lot of those joys will be exaggerated as we come together over Christmas and New Year's and so forth. The happy part can be even happier, enough to drive you to your knees at night where you just say, man, thank you, God, what a great day. I'm so blessed with certain aspects of my family. And I hope you have many days like that. 
But the truth is, and we all know it, that families are also the source of our greatest sorrows in life, I think. Some of our great frustrations and some of the stress of our lives, some of our deepest shame um, and regret and problems and heartbreak come from families, places where we find not just great joy but sometimes intense pain. The hard part of family can get even harder uh, during Christmas as well. People, as people that we can't always avoid, get thrust into the same proximity with us. And uh, a good old Clark Griswold family disaster sometimes can be in the making enough to drive you to your knees at night to say, Lord, help me. You know. So I don't know, as you think about your family, what kind of situation you're, you're looking at this year. Maybe you have some family members that you don't get along with so well anymore. Some family members you don't talk to quite as much as maybe before because there's some hard feelings or something that happened or disagreement that never got ironed out or a divorce in the family that has just changed the dynamics and it's just different now or a new spouse that you don't really know how to relate to or something like that that enters this, this scene or maybe a disagreement or some tension people show up for the meal they don't just bring salad and dessert sometimes they bring a chip on their shoulder or something like that Maybe you're a Christ follower and other members of your family are not. And that can create its own dynamic that can be a little bit weird, a little bit messy sometimes. So we get all this stuff going on when families get together. We get the dysfunction that comes out. We get the family secrets and the grudges and the estranged relationships and all the problems and it's there. It can be a little bit messy. One woman was watching her father sitting in a recliner with her daughter tenderly reading a Christmas story to her. And she said, I just wanted to scream at him. Why, why couldn't you do that for me when I was a little girl? Where were you? Why, why couldn't you hold me on your lap? And she wants him to be the best pop-pop ever, but what drives her crazy is that he's clueless to how he's hurt her. And he's coming again this year. And whether she addresses it or not addresses it, it's going to be a little bit messy. Maybe uh, you're like the couple of kids I was talking to here in the church whose folks got a divorce. And they said, it feels like being a rope in a tug of war between mom and dad. We know we'll be shuttled around between mom's place and dad's place with all this pressure to act like everything's fine and we're rebounding and kids are resilient. It'll be a little bit messy for them. There's a couple whose adult son recently told them he's gay. And it's been a very difficult thing for them because it's not really what they were expecting and it's not what they want for him necessarily. So they're trying to be supportive and loving and yet it's kind of breaking their heart and it's driving a little bit of a wedge because they differ on how they think the holiday should play out and how they should respond and what they should say and now he's complicated a little more because he said, can I bring my partner for Christmas? And they don't know what to do or what to say. It's hard on the boy, it's hard on them. It's a little bit messy, isn't it? And if you really think about it, you probably got some messes too that just come to the surface in your own family a little bit at Christmas. And here's what's interesting, is as we turn to the scriptures and we come to Christmas, we realize that God isn't turned off by messy families. He's not um, put out by families that aren't perfect, families that have issues. In fact, Christmas is all about how God, the eternal God, has come near, come right into the mess of our broken humanity. 
come right down into the midst, becoming human flesh himself, to live in this mess, to dwell in a family that shared its own bit of awkwardness and messiness. And a lot of times people don't realize that, that the family that Jesus came into was a bit of a mess itself. I mean, we kind of think of Jesus and that holy family as this perfect little set of figurines that sit in a nativity somewhere, but the world in which Jesus came was dark, it was complicated, it was messy, and it had all the problems that we have in ours. And his own family was a whole lot more like our own messed up families than we sometimes, I think, realize. So we're going to do a little digging on that today. And as we do, I just want to encourage you to keep it real about who you are, what you bring to, to God, and what, where He finds you in your life today, and what your family is actually like. I think there's sometimes some pressure or a temptation to kind of cover up before God or you know, to pretend that my life and my heart, my, my family, my world is, is actually better than it is because I think maybe we think we're supposed to do that or that's how we're going to impress God or we're in church and what you're supposed to do or whatever. I just want to say nothing can be further from the truth. And the more, in fact, that we deny or fake or pretend that we're, you know, that, that we're anything but a mess and that our families need Jesus, the more we effectively keep him away from us. And that's the one thing we need the most is Jesus more in our hearts and in our lives. So don't fake it, just keep it real, okay? Advent means coming. And it's about not just the fact that Jesus came a long time ago, but that He is ready and is coming now in fresh ways. What way do you need a fresh coming of Jesus in your life? I submit to you today, as we talk about families, that your family needs a fresh coming of Jesus in some way or other. Your family does. And maybe that's supposed to be through you. As the song says, let every heart prepare Him room. I hope your heart prepares room for Jesus today. So keep it real. Go ahead and just turn to the person next to you and say, you're messed up, your family's not perfect, and that's okay. <laughs> Go ahead, might as well let them know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's not have a counseling session. Let's just go ahead and pray. All right, let's pray. Join me in prayer. God, uh, help us to be open to receiving you. Uh, come to us, Lord, and help us see the, the beauty of our families, even as we are honest before you about the burden that they sometimes are, the way that they worry us and drive us to our knees, the way that they make us so proud and also so filled with pain. For those who are close to their family and for those who are callous or indifferent toward it, for those who find family a happy place and those who find it a very hard place for all of us lord we're all over the map but you know where we are for those who have no family at all that they can really turn to or look to who who dread the holidays because they'll feel lonely lord for each of us will you come and give yourself to us in exactly the way that every one of us needs as only you know to bring healing to bring hope to bring the joy of jesus in whose name we pray amen we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 for a little bit. Go ahead and get your app out, wherever you keep your Bible app, or your little pad, or whatever you've got, or an old-fashioned Bible like I sometimes carry around. You can go to the New Testament. Remember, the Old Testament is, is the part of the Bible that says, hey, Jesus is coming. The New Testament, it says, he's here. And the first page of the first chapter and the first verse of the New Testament is book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. That's where we're starting today. And it's going to help us see a little insight into how Jesus' own family was a little messed up. I think a lot of people know about Mary and Joseph, but what we have here is Matthew taking us in and inviting us to the whole family. We're going to climb around on the family tree. It's like saying Christmas dinner at Jesus' house and everybody's there and we get to go around the table and meet everybody. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're going to start with a genealogy. Go to the records and pull out the family history. And what follows is like 16 verses of a long list of somewhat hard to pronounce names. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and on and on it goes. Why? Why does Matthew include this as the way to introduce the whole story to say, history is changing, God is sending a son, a savior, the Messiah has come. If this, why does he start with a list of names? I mean, seriously, the part that most of us accelerate through to get past when you get to that part in the Bible. Well, because his audience, his first and primary audience, was a bunch of Jews. And the Hebrew people, the Jews, they were very interested in this kind of thing because if they're trying to believe that Jesus is actually the Messiah, they want to know, prove it. Show me his genealogy, his record. Is he connected to King David? Because King David was like the bomb diggity. He was the big dude in their history. He was the anointed, greatest, most special favorite king. And they knew from prophecy that the Messiah, when God would send the Christ one day, he would be from the line of David. He'd be like a new and better David. And so we have to know, is he related to David? Because the Bible said he would be. That's one reason he has it. Another reason is that in those days, not everybody had a genealogy. You couldn't afford it. It just wasn't done. It, was, it took a lot of work and effort and expense. You don't find genealogical records that are surviving antiquity of shepherds and fishermen and carpenters, but only of kings and emperors and royalty, rich people who would pay someone to do the genealogical work for them and keep the record because they wanted to prove to everyone, I'm in the royal line, I'm a, I'm a real descendant. Here's something else we learn as we start looking at these uh, historical records. You start realizing that very often these emperors and kings would have their family history given and then there's these gaps, like 50-year gaps, and we do the history and it's like, hey, there's some names missing here. There's a whole 50 years missing. I wonder what happened there. And here's what we've learned. The reason for the gap is that these kings and emperors would pay to have their genealogies done, but then they would sort of edit the records. They would pay someone to leave out certain unsavory relatives, the cousinettes. You got an embarrassing relative you don't want to be associated with, some awkward person, just omit them from the family chart. Cut off their branch from the family tree and voila. You know, hey, when you do my genealogy, remember Uncle Louie who spent time in Leavenworth? Let's just not talk about him. And my crazy cousin who got kicked out of the military and now runs around protesting, don't, don't talk about her either. And that's what they did. So it's interesting. When we get to Matthew, when he starts telling the genealogy of Jesus, he does exactly the opposite. Not only does he show that he's from the royal line of David, not only does he show that Jesus is from God, he shows us some of the most embarrassing connections. And the tour around the family tree is just awkward because of how many people have messy lives in this list. It's really interesting. And it says a lot about the kind of king that's going to come and the kind of family he's going to start. When you look through the list, there's a few things that we would probably miss, most of us, because we don't even read it. But even if you read it, they might just seem like random names. One thing that jumps out to us that Matthew does is he inserts the name of four women, which is a little unusual. But then... They're not just any women. These are some first-rate sinners. I mean, there's some messed up chicks in Jesus' family tree. I don't know if you knew that. It's like Matthew says, okay, Jesus has some skeletons in his closet. Let me show you what they are. 
Check it out. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. So it starts listening. The record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David, descendant of Abraham, and then he starts. Got those two things out of the way. He's connected to Abraham and David, okay? Now let's go through the details. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. And they're all sitting back like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this is awesome. And then... Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. As soon as he said the word Tamar, all the Jews went, No! Oh, did he say Tamar? I can't believe he mentioned Tamar. Why would he bring her up in this beautiful list? You see, Tamar was this widow with no children. In that culture, you know, you weren't successful if you were a woman with no children, or a widow with no children especially. She's the original desperate housewife who does something really stupid and desperate. Pathetically, she goes and dresses herself as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law. And you have to ask yourself, well, why is the father-in-law sleeping with a prostitute? And it's like another example of how messed up the whole family really is. And you begin to see, wow, Matthew's including it right here in the family tree and reminding us of that. He could have written about the great women of the faith, Rachel, Sarah, somebody like that, but no. This woman, Tamar, right here. She was not successful. She was not what society valued. She was a blemish. It's an embarrassing part of the Bible, not one that they often told their kids. Awkward family photo, Tamar. Wish you could Photoshop her out. But here's why it's so cool. Because a lot of us feel the same way as Tamar, don't we? Like we're the blemish. Like people are always looking at us and judging us. Or we've made stupid decisions and we're labeled now. Or maybe you know someone like that, even in your family. Tamar's honorable mention, one of the grandmas, great 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 grandmas of Jesus in the family list. Look what else Matthew does in verse 4 and 5. He talks about Ram and Aminadab and Nashon and Salmon. So he's getting us back on this track of blue bloods, you know, and purebreds. But then verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Oh, did he say Rahab? I can't believe he mentioned Rahab. Good grief, she's a prostitute. Oh my goodness, a woman of the night. And on top of that, she wasn't even a Jew. She's the wrong religion. Hello, you don't talk about her. She was a pagan, not exactly a spiritual giant. Her moral life was also not exactly impeccable, if you know what I mean. She struggled with her belief in God. And you see why this is awesome? Because some of us do too. Some of us are Rahab. We struggle with our own disbelief. We're messed up and morally our life has probably not been perfect. And yet there might be a place for us in Jesus' family. Verse 5. Boaz was the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth. I can't believe he threw Ruth in her. Oh my goodness. You can hear him whispering. She wasn't Jewish either. And on top of that, worst of all, She's a Moabite. You know what that means, right? I know you don't, but... (laughs) She's the wrong race. You think the tension on the streets of America is high today. It's nothing like the tension between the Jews and the Moabites. She's one of them. You make racial slurs and off-color jokes about Moabites. (laughs) 
other side of the tracks. Ruth doesn't have the right pedigree. Her skin tone is wrong. She has the wrong customs and cultures. She doesn't even get the inside joke. She doesn't talk like us. She's one of them. When you sit at the Christmas table, you, you, just sometimes it's awkward moments where Ruth says something and then there's just clinking of silverware on plates because it's like, she's so weird. And all of a sudden we get the feeling that maybe this is going to be a different kind of a king, Jesus. And a different kind of a family he's putting together. A different kind of Messiah. Matthew is rounding third base, coming on home. He says in verse 5 and 6, Obed was the father of Jesse. Then Jesse, coming down to the big part, Jesse was the father of King David. Hear triumphant music in the background, swelling King David. Yeah, he's our hero. And then he has to add this. Oh, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. Oh, that's a gaff. I mean, it's like the biggest Watergate, Spygate sex scandal in Jewish history, right? The murder cover-up of their beloved King David. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't Bathsheba. That's the woman he's talking about here. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault that David thought she was sexy on the roof and had her come over and, you know, because he had the power to do that. But still, she became this kind of unpopular figure in their mind because they're thinking she was a culprit for forever soiling the reputation of precious King David. And some families have scapegoats like that. Outsiders who ruin things. We're talking about a, the one in the family who might be looked down on because they ruined a marriage or they, they had an affair or they got a divorce or couldn't stop gambling or got the police involved somehow or something like that. Maybe that's you. Or maybe there's someone else who's the black sheep in your family. Well, they're here in the list, in Jesus' family. It's quite a way to make an announcement about God coming into the world, isn't it? We didn't even talk about the guys. They're really messed up. So the Bible's making it clear to us, before Jesus even shows up that this one who is coming isn't coming into a perfect family with some highfalutin, untouchable royalty going to live behind his, his holy halo of divine perfection. No, 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 not Jesus. He's coming right into our Clark Griswold crazy Christmas vacation lives, into this world of messiness and brokenness, right into the midst of a lineup of goofball people like us who are broken, who are stupid and selfish and wounded and hurting, and people just like us who at the same time are hungry for God. And Matthew says Jesus came into a family like that, four families like that. So please don't ever feel like you're not good enough or your family is not good enough to be part of Jesus' family because remember what Jesus' own family looked like. When you walk in on Jesus' Christmas family dinner and look around that long table at who's there, you see whores and philanderers and liars and cheaters and outsiders and pagans and mixed-up people who thought they'd never be there. All of them welcome and chosen and blessed and healed and redeemed and forgiven and made new and loved not because they were already pretty good and, and getting their family to work perfectly, but because, friends, we are all so messed up and we need Jesus. That's why. So, here's the good news. Here's the good news from, from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God's unchanging plan has always been 
to adopt you and me, to handpick us just as we are, blemished, Tamar and Judah and Rahab and all the rest of us, to adopt us into his own family. How? Bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, his son. That's why Jesus came. So that we by faith would take hold of his hand and enter into the family of God. That's God's plan. We're all so messed up. And even in the best of times or worst of times, it's good to know that God meets us in the mess of life and in the midst of our families. Remember just a couple verses later after this genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and then this mother had this baby, this baby, this baby, this baby, this baby, and then it gets to Mary and says, this virgin will be with child and she will finally give birth to a son. And they called him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That Emmanuel who's come is with us. He's with you and your family. It's like all of this points in this old dark world like a neon sign to the Jesus who would come. Announced right there, right after the genealogy, chapter 1, verse 21, she will give birth to a son. and You are to give this one the name, not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. You give this one the name Jesus, which, which means God saves because He will save His people from their sins. So everyone on the list prior to Jesus, everyone on the list after Jesus looks back to Jesus, the centerpiece of the world's historical record because He's the one that God sent to save. Jesus is a Savior, y'all. His name is Yeshua. It means God saves. He doesn't leave us alone in the mess of life or stuck with a family that can't be fixed. Jesus comes to save. You know, in the movie, uh, Griswold is counting on this big fat Christmas bonus that he looks forward to every year. He's already, I think, made the down payment on a pool or something like that. He really needs the money. And, of course, he gathers the family around, opens the envelope, and, of course, it's nothing but a, a, like a jelly of the month club or something like that. And he's just devastated, and he's raw. Of course, then stupid cousin Eddie says, well, that right there, jelly of the month club, is the gift that keeps on giving. I don't know about that. But I do know this. I know that the difference Jesus makes in our life when he comes to us is something that keeps on giving and blessing Again and again and again. As He comes to your life, He provides peace and joy and what your family needs and what I need in a way that keeps on. I'd like to talk about so many of the gifts that come to us when we invite Jesus into our life, into our families. I want to just talk about one specific gift in the moments that remain that come into our family when we come into the family of Jesus. If you as a person receive this Jesus who said God sent him to save. If you receive, there's some gifts that you're going to give and, and it will help change your family from less crazy to more Christ-centered. And the, uh, I just want to talk about the gift of forgiveness for a moment because we need forgiveness and so do our families. Jesus saves, right? He comes to forgive sin. And when we receive that gift, 
of forgiveness of sins. Why it, it changes your eternity. It changes how you live now. And it changes your family. You know, I, I, um, I have a pair of white athletic pants I wear when I play flag football. And I've played with them so many times over the years. And I've gone down in the dirt so many times. The knees are just ground so dark and dirty that they don't come clean anymore. No amount of bleach or, uh, or uh, soaking or detergent is ever going to get the stain out of those knees. So when I show up, it's just like everyone just says, he's a boss. Look at him. He has stains on his knees, you know. That's why I wear those pants. I'm quite a threat, intimidating on the football fields, you can imagine. I think a lot of us think about our lives like that pair of pants. Like there are sins we've committed that have stained us permanently. There are regrets from my past that have now woven themselves into who I am so deeply that nothing can ever change that that there are blemishes on my soul because of my family or choices I've made that are ground in and nothing will remove it. And the good news of Christmas is that you're wrong. If that's how you think, if you're resigned to live your life that way under a shadow and a cloak of kind of perpetual guilt, guilt working it off a little while for God, knowing that you're never quite set free, the angels weren't lying that day when they said, good news. I have good news of great joy for all people, including you and me. A Savior has been born. His name is Christ the Lord. A Savior. The one that God said will be named Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. Your sins won't have to define you now or for your eternity. And that's really good news of great joy. And when you receive that truth, that my sins can be made white as snow, my past can be perfected, my mistakes can be made new, my blemishes blotted out, my transgressions taken care of, when that happens to you, when that grace flows into your life and you realize that God picks you up, dusts you off, and gives you a clean pair of pants to play your life in, my gosh, it changes you. And that, guess what? That then gets reflected back out to everyone else you meet. People of God, we should ooze more grace. We should ooze more grace. If we've been loved and forgiven, then it ought to ooze out of us. When you're forgiven, it's not only going to change your eternity, so you know that when you die, you're not going to say, well, I have sullied soul, I've committed sins, and I couldn't get myself forgiven, so I'm going to spend eternity Christless, apart from God in hell. No, I, I can live for eternity with God. But more than that, it changes how I live now, and it will change my family. Does that make sense? Can you recall a time you might have stooped so low that you committed that egregious Christmas sin of re-gifting? Go ahead and admit it right now. If you've ever re-gifted a gift, come on, admit it. You liars. I know you've done it. You know what re-gifting is. You get a gift. You don't need it. You don't want it. You already got one or it's just stupid. You put it in a shelf on the basement, right? And then a year later, you're going to a party, you don't have time to shop, you go down there and, you, and you, you grab it and then you get that beautiful invention, whoever came up with it, like a paper sack that now we call wrapping and throw it in there, put tissue on it, take it off and hand it at the party, right? From me to you, because I love you, bro. That's re-gifting. Now, it's embarrassing if you forget to take the old name tags off. It's like, oh, oh, sorry, it still says from Bob to Ben, but okay. 
Regifting. I don't know if it's socially acceptable at Christmas or not. I highly advise it. We don't need to buy most of the gifts we do anyway. Well, here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Is that every single one of us has been gifted by God with so many gifts that come from Jesus who came to save us. And one of them is the forgiveness of sins. And that's a gift that he's very much hoping you will re-gift and extend grace and forgiveness to people around you. We need more grace and forgiveness in our families. And that would be one way that your family tree could look and feel different if God used you in that way. Regift forgiveness this year. Where do you need to do that? Think how different our families would be if they reflected the truth of this scripture, this command from Ephesians chapter 4. Listen, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Imagine your family with no harsh words, no slander where you say something that isn't uplifting or true as well as all types of malicious behavior, if we stop doing anything that was anything other than in the best interest of those in our family. Instead, be kind to each other and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You've been forgiven about a lot of stuff, my friends. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord, and I hope you have, if you haven't, I hope you do today. But immediately I would challenge you to think about the messy relationships and people who've done you wrong. Families hurt each other. It's what happens. Families hurt each other, okay? Kids hurt their siblings and brothers and sisters and in-laws and cousins and kids. We all hurt each other. So, okay, how long are you going to make them pay because they hurt you? How long are you going to try to extract some, some price from them or hold it over their head? At what point do we look at a blood-stained cross for what Jesus has done in forgiving us and say, I'm going to pay it forward? At what point do we, we just realize, I've been forgiven a mountain of debt and I'm going to get over this molehill of debt you owe me and choose to forgive the people who hurt you? Regift the gift of forgiveness this year, especially in your family. That's my challenge to you. I know in some cases there's been horrific wrongs committed against us and it may take a lot of time, maybe more time than is available between now and Christmas to sort of get over all that. I, I'm not saying get over it. I'm saying you've got to choose in your relationships are you going to fight or are you going to forgive? You're moving toward one or the other. What's it going to be? If Jesus has come into your life and it's going to make an impact and a change in your life and in your family, and this is one of the ways it should. You know, every family that thrives does so because it has great doses of forgiveness and grace running through the pipes of that home. One of Clark Griswold's big mistakes in the Christmas Vacation movie is that he has this idealistic expectation and this sort of idyllic hope of what it's going to be. And of course, reality never measures up to any of those dreams and that's why a lot of families suffer. It's why a lot of marriages suffer because this person that I have created in my mind doesn't exist and this reality of this person next to me is just not that. And so we live perpetually under these blankets of disappointment which eventually turn into disgust and disdain and increasingly divorce. 
because I'm groping for something that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfection, His beauty, His goodness, His faithfulness, His acceptance of me. He's the only one who can love us that way. And if, as long as we sort of expect someone else to do that, it will always be disappointed. So we latch on to Jesus, receive His forgiveness of us, and then out of that we extend grace and forgiveness to those messed up people that we live with. Regift forgiveness. You know, I, I heard something the other day about a newspaper from, this is several years ago, but it's a truth story. This kid actually sued his parents for parental malpractice. He was so convinced they messed up so badly out of their negligence and ignorance, screwed him up so badly, he was requesting $350,000 of damages. You know, and every parent in the nation goes, oh! <laughs> if that goes through, we're all doomed, right? Because there's not a parent on the planet who wouldn't go broke if their kids could sue for mistakes parents make. Kids from age 7 to 70 will have to learn to re-gift some forgiveness that they've received this year. And by the way, kids... Newsflash, your parents forgive you all the time. Who is it that you need to turn around and re-gift this year some forgiveness? Pull it up from the basement, put it in a sack and, and hand it. Maybe some of you need to reach for your phone right now and start a text with the words, I forgive you. Who needs to hear those words whose heart, like a desert parched ground would receive them like fresh rain what relationship is stuck or broken that needs to be moved forward with the grace of forgiveness friends here's the key here's the key someone needs to make the first move i suggest it's the christ follower that does so as we talked about building bridges someone's got to make the first move jesus didn't wait for us it says while in the bible it says while we were still sinners christ moved toward us died for the ungodly he built the bridge back to us. Regift that. And maybe that means you make the first move. To whom do you need to give an act of grace? Who do you always nag? Who do you always fight with? Who do you nitpick? Who do you hold grudges against? Stop it. Jesus doesn't treat you that way. Pay it forward. Because when you receive this Jesus, Emmanuel with us, who comes to save us, one of the gifts he gives you is the gift of forgiveness. And I tell you what, that'll not just change your eternity. It should change your life here and now, and it should change your family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus into the mess and for finding us in, in our own world, our own families. So come to us and abide with us. We need you, Lord. Help us to receive your grace and forgiveness and then to extend it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.